Okay, so considering that we've got a few topics to cover and 58 minutes, let's get started. So just to, to let everyone know who's joined, firstly, thank you all for joining. Uh, the session is being recorded and we will share the recording afterwards, unless it's a complete disaster, in which case, of course, we'll edit a few times and we might share pieces of it. Um, so thank you all for, for joining the, the first IP Fabric and Ask, um, Ask Community Fabric webinar. Um, we've got a great, great panel here to discuss some of the key themes that we wanted to pull out including our very own Darren Fulwell, IP Fabric Network Automation Evangelist, CCIE and CCDE, Orhan Ergon, CCIE, CCDE Instructor, Gianpaolo Borina, CCIE and Cisco Champion, and of course, Julien Monton, Network Solutions Architect from Airbus. The focus of this webinar and the, the thing that's really driving IP Fabric these days is the ability for our platform, our users, and everyone to come together within the community. And to we really take pride in, in helping users and getting involved in a lot of innovation within the network space. So we wanted to pull this panel together and, and bring some leading topics out for discussion in this first Community Fabric webinar special. Um, the, the focus of this is actually for you guys to be asking the questions and for our glorious panel to be answering. We've got the themes. But if you want to drop any questions into the Q&A function as you go through, I'll introduce some of them in for a live um, Q&A response and may just type back to some of the other questions as well. So please feel free to raise your questions. Um, the crucial topics that we're going to start on and look to work through in open, dis in open discussion are the adoption and best practices around network automation. It's a topic that lots of organizations are looking at. How do we adopt this in order to streamline management processes, reduce some risk, alleviate some pressures from our teams? So the panel will take a look into best practices here and how to get started. This will naturally drift into the theme of intent-based networking, which is being hailed as the next evolutionary step in networking. So we'll take some thoughts from the guys on what intent-based networking means and is it a fad or is it the future of networking? One crucial uh, point that we see with a lot of our customers, but also in a lot of projects, is around data democratization. Once you have a great view of data, what does it mean to use that data? How do you augment existing practices or feed this data into other systems? So we'll talk around once different teams can access this data, what is the value that it can bring? And of course, we'll look to close as long as the conversation doesn't run on too long. We'll look to close on a view of, uh, of future trends. We'll take a look at what's on the horizon for network management. How are different organizations taking a look at this? How are these guys looking to drive their own understanding and learning towards these future trends as well? So without further ado, I'll be uh, watching the, the Q&A and look to introduce some questions. But why don't we uh, get started on a simple one, guys? Why, why automate? Oh, you, yeah, what a, what a great open. Um, I, I look at the smiles straight away. It's that whole, oh, the, that question. From, from my perspective, and I'll, I'll dive in to start because I'm clearly the, the noisy one. Um, it's, it's really key to understand, um, from my perspective, how we can improve the, the experience of designing and, and maintaining networks, right? And, and so automation takes a number of forms to help us with this, right? It's not, it, we, can, we can automate the configuration and we can automate the deployment of networks. And that is obvious, right? Because that's in a large scale network, it's gonna save you time, it's gonna save you energy and, and so on. But there's, a, there's more to it than that in my head, um, as much of it is around how we take the data that comes from our network and we use it more widely. So, so you know, network automation, we've been told is zero touch provisioning and it's, you know, controllers and SDN and whatever, but there is a whole load more to it than that. Is that, that's fair though, right guys? Oh uh, yeah, Darren. Uh, for me, I will not talk, talk only about network automation, but connecti connectivity services. Because in fact, we don't automate only the network, but potentially a larger set of services. You can automate the DNS, you can automate, I don't know, firewall routes at the same time. 
And what we, if we need to automate, it's because we need a business and we need to deliver something to our business. And for me, the key to deliver faster in a consistent way when we need it. And I would say if other business, I don't know if uh, the cloud team need a network, they don't need faster in a specific way, but they need to be there to have all in one. They will not only expect the VPC, but they will expect, I would say, a larger scope. So I would say not only network automation, we are just a part yeah. of the whole approach for the business, for the company. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, Jean-Paolo, you, you, you're sort of involved with deploying um, automation for, for folks. What, what do you find amusing? Yeah, there are, I think there are different levels of maturity for automation because uh, uh, most people start with simple tasks, simple repetitive tasks like creating a configuration, uh, creating a new DNS entry, something that is manual, that can be easily automated is the easy win. And then uh, as uh, experience grows uh, about coding, about API, we can have larger and larger tasks to be automated. So, and this is good and can be the final goal because it saves a lot of time. It, it allows us to have consistency between the configurations. So it is a very uh, nice goal to reach, but uh, the next step is the next maturity level is orchestration. So we don't see the network as a single element anymore, but we, but we see uh, the network as a, a single whole entity that can be orchestrated. So like create a new services between two machines. And then we have uh, firewall rules, uh, routing, route maps, everything that is automated. It's something like the SDN of the whole network, but also systems, load balancer, everything. I think that's something that we are doing in the cloud because the cloud is created for automation, but the enterprise network is not like that. It's anything like that. And unless we embrace a single pillar from one vendor and we buy everything from that vendor, and even in that case, we may need to do some system integration between the different systems, but uh, uh, creating our own automation with the small pieces and then having the final goal of a single orchestration between services, it takes time, it takes effort, it needs a very strong strategy to have everything together. And uh, in the end, uh, we can either choose to become our own software company to create our own system from inventory, from code, from uh, security check, or we can uh, also uh, build a system that has some proprietary software like epifabric uh, like monitoring uh, and the glue de them together because automation doesn't mean write a lot of code because most people think automation means we need to write a lot of code we need 10 people writing code 24 hours per day this is not automation automation is a process it's more about how we work Writing say, code is part of the automation. An interesting point on this one just comes comes in from the, the Q&A from Saeed. He's mentioned that most, most situations in an SDN type environment, each vendor has its own kind of controllers, ways to build and manage the fabric. He's, I, I guess the question is asking, do you see anything coming up in the market that wouldn't necessarily be driven by any particular vendor that allows users to have flexibility within a multi-vendor environment? Do you uh, see something uh, within the network automation practice? Uh, at basic level, each vendor is trying to convince users their own solution is the best and you don't need to, <laughs> to buy their own because you buy one and that's okay. Uh, in practice, what we see in the industry is more and more uh, young, open country, net conf, I would say standard model start to appear and start to be more and more well supported across the market. There is some uh, solution. I uh, can talk about Cisco and ASO, which can do this kind of integration. The only issue right now is at enterprise level, there is less uh, difficult, I would say, to start to use that. We see that in the ISP world, less in the enterprise. We were more, I would say, like Jean Paolo was saying, as orchestrating, I would say, different type of solution, gluing API, either with product or iPhone. But it's difficult to have a one-made solution. And if there was one, that would less talk about the network automation movement and let's talk about the solution. Right now, as an industry, we are trying to find, I would say, the right way. We talk about Ansible, which is one of the solutions we have. There was Taxstorm before. There is some other good network, for example, 
which provide solution to link APIs, but difficult to have one definitive answer. We've I, seen I, a few years. I agree with you completely. I think the thing here is you would end up with a situation, and we already see this, I think, with some of the models, where you, you end up with the lowest common denominator sort of effect, don't you? Because, because um, all of the... Uh, all of the things that make that you know, give you the reason to, to go with a specific vendor or the, with a specific feature will only have a certain um, uh, only be ap applicable to certain parts of the network. And so, if you go for that common approach of, of a, having a common configuration model, which I guess is what Saeed's referring to there, you end up losing a lot of the extra functionality you might want around around the uh, edges. Whereas if you take the orchestration approach that Jean-Paolo mentioned, you've got the option of, of using the extra features in the different domains in order to, to give the, the, the fullest picture. And I suppose, I mean, Orhan, you know, every network is made up of loads of different other networks, right? And it's all, you, we're always having to design our way around a lot of these problems, aren't we? I think you'll need to unmute Orhan. Let's see if that works. Ah, there we go. Now I, I can. Yes, of course, networks. Uh, actually, when we say network, it's a collection of other networks, obviously. And we call it uh, usually PIN, placing the networks. So, campus network, wider network, internet gateways, IGW sites, and data center networks, so on and so forth. So many of them. And uh, you may not need from day one to automate everywhere. Every part of your network, but some part might require more fundamental places, so which you can get the benefit immediately from there. So quick wins. Where are those places? Usually looks like uh, data centers, but these days we are seeing almost every part of every place of the networks. Yeah, I guess with a data center environment, it's a more more of a bounded problem, isn't it? In the sense that it's well understood. Typically, certainly a modern data center environment, a, a very standardized topology, a very, very clear and, and like I say, well understood problem with boundaries. You get into the campus and, <laughs> and into the WAN, <laughs> right? Yeah. Whole different ball game. Yeah, campus network are totally different. Uh, and even for the SAM customer working with the SAM vendor, we experience that we have uh, uh, 10, 15 years of gap between the devices because you can find a very uh, old uh, box uh, from the same vendor, but that may have a missing any API. So you, can, you must do anything uh, with an automation with SSH. And you have the latest and greatest campus switch uh, that is a very beautiful with all the API and you can automate. I, I think to, 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 to get, get a faster result, uh, we, we can start, as Horan said, to automate specific tasks and uh, use the Unix philosophy. The Unix philosophy is that you have one command to do one task and the output of one command can be the input of the other one. You can pipe. And if you create automation boxes that can pipe into each other, you, you can glue them together afterwards. But you know that you can do that. Like you, you have the discovery. So you want to discover the network, you want to collect information, you want to have this information to be available. And this information must be available in API in a JSON format, for example. Then you want to create some sort of remediation. Okay, the remediation will use the information that comes from the, out, from the discovery. Then you want to run, for example, a security check. Okay, I already have the information about the devices and the software. I can just get this information and do the security check. After the security check, I may have a box that does the software upgrade. So I can pipe out the result. Okay, we have some box that are vulnerable. They need to be updated. I pipe this information in the upgrading box. So you can have this pipeline of different actions, and then you can add 
re or replace some boxes if you find something better. You start with the uh, Ansible, then you move to Nornier, then you can, or, or you can also have the different uh, automation boxes for different kinds of devices, uh, because I can use Terraform maybe for the data center, because I want to do that automation, and uh, Nornier to automate my switches configuration, Napalm. But tomorrow, maybe we will have another very cool automation tool. We can just create our own puzzle of different pieces, but we need a very strong strategy because we need to be able to replace and add every, uh, every single piece of our uh, scenario. Uh, and no single vendor usually can do that because as we said, some vendors focus on the data center automation, other focus on the Wi-Fi automation. It is very hard to find something that can work across technologies from the data center to the campus to the security. And when they do that, um, we rely on them to keep uh, updating to support all the platforms, uh, to have all the features that we need uh, and uh, what happens and when uh, we miss a feature that is critical for our business. We need to write our own tool anyways. And again, Paulo, just a side comment about, I will say, we can swap the technologies. Uh, from outside, I would say a network automation specialist, yes, we can. The main difficulties that we have is behind that, you have network operation team that you need to cascade, you need to train them. And if we change too much, or if we say, oh, now I want to jump from Ansible to Narnia, you can, I would say, mess. I would say what we want them to do is, like we said earlier on, the process of automation. And they will focus more on the tool and less on the global approach. So it's, mm -hmm. this is why it's difficult sometimes to say, okay, you need to have a global strategy. You need to choose your tool. And sometimes you cannot go immediately for the latest and greatest because you have to take care about the rate of change in your organization and how people are going to adopt the automation that you do. I, I guess and, the same yeah. could be argued for like open source versus commercial and that sort yeah. of thing. Because in, in that sense, what you've got to do is if you go down that open source route, you, you end up potentially putting together multiple different tools, constructing an environment and having to maintain and support that environment, as well as the individual tools that make up your ecosystem. So it's, um, but you know, do you have the same problem with the commercial site? You probably do to an extent, but yeah, uh, what, what, it's the maintenance, right? Yeah, one note on, on that, because I experienced that in my team, because you have auto, the consumers of automation and the creators of automation, because even with Ansible, you ha we have some people that who use the playbook and we have a, a smaller team that creates new playbooks, that creates the Nornio scripts. So even in a big team, usually not everybody's creating the new automation. They are consumer. The Network Operation Center consumes the automation that is created by a very specific team that is highly trained because even a Ansible uh, playbook is not that simple when you start uh, putting some logic inside Ansible, some loops, uh, it's not that easy. It's not that playbook that you can find in an easy tutorial. You need to really get on board. And when, when you find the limit of the tool, like Ansible can re go up to a point, but uh, when you need some very convoluted logic inside the playbook, it becomes very hard. So probably you need to use Ansible, but also Python and understand when you reach the limit of one, switch to the, to the other. It's clear that an Ansible connection that is ready and easy to consume, it will be the best path, but it is not always possible. Training is a big part, of course. So I've got an interesting question coming in from, from Joppa, who's from Prodocom, one of our partners in Netherlands. And he's saying, I think it comes along your theme of, of kind of creators and consumers and Julian's theme of needing a, a top-down strategy. He sees that Automation is a theme, it's a desire. There are some people within structures of enterprises that want to automate certain elements and want to adopt automation, but they struggle to maybe push this across the organization. So how do you, how would you guys suggest to engineers that are passionate about automating certain tasks and, and capabilities within the network, begin to push that change how do you seek from bottom up to instill a, an idea and a strategy of automation in an enterprise that maybe isn't bringing it from top down at the moment? 
She's a good question. Uh, yeah, our first thing, like we said at the beginning, you start with a small use case. We start with the switch provisioning. You start by getting data out of the network. Uh, I would say but things like Epifabric is doing, for example. If uh, the server team want to know where a server is connected, but you give them a way to know where it's connected. And then starting from that, you have to know from your organization what does make sense. If your organization is more cloud native, focus on automating AWS. If your organization is going to have a new one with a lot of different configuration and they want to create a lot of virtual network, start to focus on that. It would be very difficult outside of this to say there is a clear way to automate because more or less it's really based on use case, based on the organization's objectives that you can decide where you want to go. Yeah. Um, Ohan, I saw you nodding there. I mean, uh, what what do you um, hear when you speak to people about uh, about this sort of, um, the, the adoption of automation? So uh, these days automation, we cannot, I mean, uh, escape from that anymore. So many, even design people, they want to understand high level what's happening in the automation space, to be honest. So because it's all about money, it's all about costs, cost saving, cost cutting, revenue generation, it's helping to almost everything. So these guys are making lots of use cases. These are real things, which mean <clears throat> we need to get the advantages from that. Why, if I can just set up the thousands of sites in a couple minutes maybe, why I will spend, it was like that, by the way. Uh, probably we all gone through that. Like uh, bring the, all those equipments to some places, then uh, configure them, ship to the remote locations, and all those things takes for, forget about days, weeks, months. And but now all all of those things, not only consistency, but uh, reducing the time and effort, all, all of them, uh, helping the design process as well. Because in design, one of the considerations is complexity, and when we move the human factor from the equation. Yes, maybe we are not completely eliminating the complexity, but we are reducing it, which is a good thing. So you need to get the uh, advantages from the automation many ways. So think about like, uh, if, if I would give analogy for those traditional people, uh, think about uh, MPLS. You can use the MPLS for many different purposes. Think about automation and MPLS. Now let me give you analogy. Uh, you may not use MPLS today for your uh, VPNs, which is normally most common uh, use case for the MPLS. But you might be getting advantage for from the fast reroute on the other side. So I mean, in case of failure, the time between recovery and the failure can be reduced to 50 milliseconds, let's say. So you can take the advantage from traffic engineering with the MPLS. So, so many use cases, same thing like automation. You don't want configuration management? Okay, maybe just synchronization of the configuration and consistency. So, so many use cases. But which one for you, quick win? Yeah, and, and I, think, I, I think that's- I think, I think for me, it's about, about having the, that process and having the operations and understanding how automation can feed into that process in a in a way that makes sense both in terms of actually delivering it and then in consuming it and making sure that, that people are able to consume it in the way that, that makes a difference to the way they're operating their network let's say you, you may have a process that you know what all the steps are um and there may be particular steps in there that that uh, would benefit from automation then you swap the manual process out and you put the automated process in and it allows you to build out that process without changing the way that you deliver the service. Um, there comes another stage, I suppose, when you've got a certain amount of data and a certain amount of visibility, perhaps in, in the network, depending on your approach, that you can then consider, well, actually, uh, an automated approach from start to finish would fix a whole load of other things. So you end up engineering new process in order to take advantage of that capability. So it, in short, it depends, right? Is the answer to But I will go back, Darren, to say a process, but yeah, it's a good point of putting process into code 
and then you don't leave it to people interpretation. Yeah. And even the fact of putting your architecture or your process into coding will lead to interesting discussion with the guy in charge of the coding because he could have, I would say, implied and thought that you are meaning some, I would say, technical aspect. But in fact, at the end, you say, oh, but it didn't really mean that. And you have to correct and the code doesn't lie. I would say architecture dossier can be prone to personal interpretation, but once it's put into code, there is one way of reading it. And this is also the good power that once your process are automated, there is one correct way of doing it. And if you change it, people can review them. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and the pipeline approach that Gianpaolo su suggested before allows you to assemble that approach, I suppose, in such a way that you can, you can swap elements out manual automated different automation approach or whatever but still if it's if it's scripted in that way that, that you have it understood end to end then th there's no ambiguity and i suppose that's the the, the point you're making there julian right uh, and the question that we can have also is at which point the automation becomes the weakest 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 link of the network because right now, the way we have built up our network, we have control plane, data plane, management plane, and we have a sub resonancy, I would say, and resiliency in the way our design working. Mm. But at which point, if we rely too much on the automation, and if we don't have automation, you cannot deploy your new things, mm. the automation starts to be a problem in our operation, because without the automation, we cannot properly operate. And this is, we are the limit to say, we are accepting, I would say, more complexity like Oran was saying, in our design, potentially because we can automate them. But it means that if we lose our capacity to automate, because those tools must be operated still somewhere, but potentially we can have an issue at all. And those are, I would say, valid questions right now for automation before it was starting, like we said, with small use case. So side to the network. And if it breaks, that's okay. It can break one or two days. It will not, I would say, annoy the business. Right now, if it breaks, hey, you cannot deploy things that people were taking from granted in one day. <laughs> so you cannot, I would say, more issue. It's, actually, there's, there's a really good uh, analogy for that, I suppose. In, in you imagine uh, um, where, where um, organizations have to fail over to paper processes once if their IT fails, right? So imagine a, a hospital, for example, if, if their IT fails, they end up reverting back almost to, to the, the histor historical uh, ways they used to, to do things with pen and paper, right? So, so I guess that's, that's the same kind of thing that you're talking about there. Right? Yeah. yeah, but also how do you uh, can have any experience on the CLI, for example, if you never deployed that service by hand? Because this is a big, big topic, but it is also in the... Uh, airplane pilot uh, and uh, every other job that is being automated because we made experience at deploying switches. So we know how to deploy a switch by hand, how to troubleshooting by hand. But if you have people that is only using some abstraction layer, they are not aware of the CLI commands of the output uh, other than the GUI, for example. So I have a blog post, uh, an old one that was something like, are we the last uh, network engineers with the real CLI experience? And I say, okay, but, but uh, you don't know how to operate your car. Maybe my grandfather did because the cars were simple. But today, if you have a car, it's more like a computer. If you have an uh, hybrid car, you cannot really fix that thing. You just uh, call for support. So uh, I'm not sure that that applies for to network automation. I think that CLI is still needed because when things go south, you really need to go under the cover to understand what happens. So also the training of the network engineers, probably uh, they need to know how to work with automation, but also how to go type a show command and fix things. I don't know how much, how deep, how much training they will need, but I think it is a great question to- Almost to everyone, everyone will need, maybe very high level architects, uh, network designers, exceptional little bit, almost everyone needs to learn network automation. Yeah. Operational landscape is changing, guys. So you have to learn. And it is a good investment. So like, uh, if I will tell you 
five years, six years, seven years ago, learn Cisco IWAN. So I will redirect you to the wrong place. But if I will tell you SD-WAN, still correct place. So network automation is not the wrong place. Spend time, uh, learn as much as standard approaches you can. Uh, more is better, more knowledge, I mean. Uh, but uh, at least some level that you can automate, you can understand what's happening. And when things uh, happen, troubleshoot at least at this level, you don't have to be software developers. No one says that, but uh, for that function, hey, there will be other companies, they will do the job like IP Fabric, et cetera. But uh, we need to understand what's happening, troubleshooting, and maybe sometimes if necessary, small code we will run. Uh, but of course, that is your choice. When uh, I think Paolo was talking about Ansible versus Python, when it is, I mean, when Ansible cannot do something or you need to write the modules and all those things, Python may be a, a tool. Yes, these are all tools. Whichever is convenient for you, you will choose that one. Probably you might say like VRF Lite for the Ansible, then MPLS for the Python. So scalability aspect I am talking about. Whichever you choose, whichever is easier for you, but you need to learn. You will understand that. Let's not make it late start today whenever you have time have a look at some basic stuff uh, some certification even might be helpful for that aspect maybe put uh, certification is good for giving you a way hierarchy to uh, study something that's why otherwise I don't need to say any certificate now we are not making advertisement for anything but uh, this is the point so a question question coming in here I think just to, to recap on the points that we've we've touched on architectural strategy should be led by an integratable and intermixable pipeline of quick wins. So we've, we've kind of covered this. Ohan's mentioning that training is critical, getting a balance of automation, Jean-Paolo mentioning, still being able to dive into the CLI when it's needed. So looking a little bit more into the actual uh, kind of adoption, the actual adoption within an enterprise and in this question's sake, it says within the Dutch government agencies, there's a lack of change management. Doesn't matter so much because maybe the number of changes are relatively limited and the slow manual processes are quite trackable. It's, it's less of a, a rapid change. So if in the government, they're, they're following this kind of complete evolution towards automated processes and all of these different tools, different skills being adopted, yet those change management processes are not there from the start how do you guys approach from an automated standpoint you know which oh. which approaches do you have to make sure the processes are in place that there are fallbacks there is change oh. management tracking throughout the early adoption i've read the darren question and yes the question was how happy fabric i would say help about that uh, the big point was darren was mentioning is the negative implication i would say for the process for me the first point is means that what are the negative applications? What are the important points for your network? Are you interested to go to this application? Are you interested to go to the SaaS application? What does your network is providing really for? Once you have that, uh, if you take the example, it was specifically for IPFabric, you can generate paths in IPFabric and to know and to monitor them. And then you have a snapshot every hours, every two hours, depending on the size of the network. And you check, check if there is change. And you have noticed a change, like if we can do, help you to do diff of configuration, and then you can check, I would say, what was the change occurring. I would say the high level pass. This is, I would say, you observe the result. If you want to go forward, you, we started to talk about intent-based networking. It means that you need to model your network. You need to start to use tool like Badfish to really model what you want to do, ask questions. But then you start to be very, I would say, deep in automation. It's not a quick win. <laughs> I would say you start to, to add the next step and it's not uh, something you can do and start from that. Yeah. And I just, yeah, go on. I'm just going to say, I mean, in 10 based networking, now you're talking, you're, you're getting into futures, right? Because really what, what you're, you're trying to build here is this, this idea of, a, of an ecosystem of, of elements that work together almost to provide an autonomy in the way that, that the network is behaving, right? Because you define your, your intent in a certain way um, in your, essentially your source of truth. Yeah. You have 
a fulfillment element that goes ahead and actually carries out the automation. So it builds elements of the orchestration that Gianpaolo mentioned, all of those things about, about um, the, the, the pipeline of, uh, of, of automation in order to, to fulfill that, that intent. But then you yeah. have the assurance element, which is where IP Fabric comes in in this case, which allows you to, to visualize and understand how the network is actually behaving and compare that with the intended source of truth, right? And then provide that feedback loop to, to build. Let, let me share something Please. perhaps to explain yeah. what I'm talking about. Yeah. Is it okay? Do you see it? Yeah, 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 we got it. Because for me, what we said is uh, the source of truth, this is a model, is where we want, I would say, to model our network. This is where we decide and like Oran was saying, this is a design part. This is where the architect and the designer will say, hey, the network should look like that. Yeah. Where we store it, it can be netbox, it can be another source of truth, it can be whatever you want, but there should be one place where you say, this is how I want my network to, to look like. Uh, then we can have automation tool. We started to talk about the pipeline, we started to talk about Ansible, Python, whatsoever. We can have a way, we can have tools, Terraform and so on, to modify the system. The system can be the network, can be the cloud networking, can be whatever we want. And what we do look, we need afterward, this is a feedback loop. Too often in the automation process that we can see in some blog, there is a direct pass, but there is no feedback loop. In fact, in real life, people are going to make change on the system directly. Mm. Like we said, whether we like it or not, can be because there is no change process in the organization, because there is a crisis and you need to modify and fix something quickly, because like we said, we need to sometimes jump on the CLI and fix fixing things. And this is where we use IP Fabric. I would say uh, like a state database, system of records, if we talk old name, I would say, to help reconciliate between the system and the source of truth. And you start to have report, routine, whatsoever you want to compare what you have, what you would like, and what it should be. So this is, uh, I would say, not you cannot have one system. You need to have two different tools because they're serving different objectives. Yeah, because you want checks and balances, don't you? You don't, you don't want people to be marking their own homework um, yeah. so, so you have to have that that ability to separate out those elements so that they work in concert, but um, but but towards that same goal. Yeah. Um, yeah. The example I give to people, uh, usually in the team, is if a switch is done for electrical problem, it's out of hyperfabric. You don't have it because in the current snapshot, hyperfabric is not using it. It's not present anymore. You don't have the information. Still, in your source of truth, this switch should be present because it's still an operation and you need it at long term. This is why you have two different systems because they're serving different roles. There's no question at the moment, guys, but just on that on that point, I think the, the thing that we hear very regularly is about the source of truth. And it's usually being spoken about the loudest within the automation community. Mm. If this is if we're talking early adoption of automation, would you say the source of intended truth? is a first priority above the source of observed truth. What do we actually have now? Or do you believe they both need to be developed and deployed in parallel? Shall I? I'll take that one first, because uh, it's uh, a, a question that, that I get similarly. I think, I think from, a, from an automation standpoint, um, the, the key part, um, if, you're, if you're wanting to push out and along that automation path, is to have that intended source of truth first in order to give you the parameters and the boundaries within which you deploy your automation. You know, there's, there's no question. Without, without, without that, you've got no central source of information to actually push um, that data into templates, into, into policies that you can deploy in your network. The difference, if you really want to make the, the difference as a whole though and, and understand that that is actually delivering what you expect it to, then you need the checks and balances. And that's where that observed source of truth, the system record thing that, that Julian mentioned before, or the assurance engine in the intent-based networking um, scenario, that's what that, that's achieving. So there's, a, there's an important difference between that intended source of truth and that, that uh, observed source of truth, but, um, if you want to do the whole thing and get the whole thing um, 
as autonomous as possible, then you have to have both. Yeah. Julian, you were itching to... to... Yeah, yeah, it's... Uh, <laughs> uh, if we, to answer the question, I will say, if you start at the Greenfield network, you have a new use case, yeah, go with the intended source of truth. If you start with a brownfield, you arrive on a new account, you have a new perimeter, now start with the observed source of truth, start to use a similar tool like Epifabric, but discover and try to make sense of the net. Because you cannot create a model, create an intent, if you don't understand how it's built. So you need to have at least this visibility before starting moving to the model, the intent, and then potentially automate. Like I said, is when you want to automate on a network, first, you must simplify it. You must standardize it, use it, model it to be able to orchestrate it. You cannot, it, you cannot go directly to the end. You must do your step. And you cannot automate if the design at the end is a mess and you have, uh, I don't know, 20 different uh, design in each campus that you have. It will be really difficult to automate our normal virtual network deployment if every time you have a specific if loop in your uh, if in your Ansible playbook to manage this specific use case, you must standardize before automating. This is a really important. It's not because you cannot automate that you don't have to do any more network design or standardization. This is a key element. If you want to automate, you need to standardize. Yeah, and not only for automation. I'm working on an HDVAM project right now that uh, has some automation in it, but uh, we are redesigning uh, the routing of uh, all the sites, data center and uh, uh, branch sites. And uh, we are finding years and years of layers of different uh, uh, tuning uh, tweaks uh, made with a different style by different network engineers that were there over time. So uh, we are cleaning up a mess that is very, very complex. I agree with you, Julian, that uh, the automation uh, project can be a, a good chance to find and remove uh, thousands of lines of configuration that are non, not needed anymore, or even if they are needed, they are too complex to be maintained. So if it is very hard, if you cannot write a, a clean piece of code that can generate that configuration, uh, ask yourself a question, do you really need that configuration? Do you really need all the tweaks, all the exception to that? Or should you rethink the design? And probably there is a better way to do to do that because uh, there is a joke that the CCIEs really like to tweak every single parameter of every single routing protocol that you that you can so with BGP is like paradise because you can mess and play a lot with it but when you do the automation you, you need to, to have a template to generate that it is a very good time to rethink about the design. And uh, I think this is very important because sometimes the faults uh, are based on the complexity because either something very complex breaks uh, and nobody can really fix it or nobody can understand it. Yeah. And uh, if, if you are doing automation, you need to understand what you are doing uh, and uh, you are forced to do that. And you write the algorithm that will generate that configuration. I think that is a very big plus for, uh, for network automation. Yeah, I think I think that complexity piece um, is is really important, isn't it? That that we you know it's unavoidable. Really, the networks that we work with today are so much more complex than 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 they would have been even five years ago, ten years ago, for sure. When you look at all the layers, when you look at all the interactions, I suppose between between all the different elements. Um, and so I guess, yeah, the automation allows us the, the two parts of that, the, to, to go ahead and, and, and analyze what's, what's there in the brownfield, as Junior mentioned before, to, to understand what it is that you've got so that you can know and understand the environment that you, you're using. But then in order to deliver anything new, you deliver it in a consistent and, and way that's, that's well understood and well engineered. And so you've got that, that ability to make sure that, that those two elements are, are looked after. That's a good point. So an interesting question. Um, I hope I'll, I'll get it right to, to spark the conversation, but if the source of truth is fed by a tool like IP Fabric or a similar, similar tool, uh, which represents the running infrastructure, what's the difference with a traditional CMDB? 
there is a further further element to the question. Shouldn't there be a separation between source of truth and IP fabric, even if it's not looking at intent-based compliance? So I think the point you mentioned, Julian, is that the systems yeah. do absolutely need to be separate. The intended yes. source of truth and the, the running um, infrastructure visibility. Um, how would this, this differentiate from a traditional CMDB? Alors, first, the traditional CMDB didn't have the data model that we have today in the different source of truth. The inventory, the CMDB in the past were mainly inventory, some network information, and that's it. You will not have VRF, you will not have ASN, you will not have the link between the VLAN and then the VLAN group and whatsoever, depending where you are. You have much more complex model now that fits and where you can really represent what is your intent in terms of networking design. But the concept that you use to manipulate as a network architect or designer, you can really put it in a place. Before CMDB, you cannot represent the logic of the network. You can represent the plumbing, the link between the switches, if you want, but that's it. The traditional CMDB were really limited to that. Things are changing. ServiceNow, for example, is a little bit evolutive. Nonetheless, ServiceNow, you cannot model, I would say, uh, perhaps 20% of what you can do inside Netbox to have compared or release both of, both of them. So that's why traditional CMDB is matching. The CMDB is the lowest common denominator, denominator between all the teams that operate it. Because potentially the server team will need more things and so on. So you have central things, but the smallest things that you can do for each one. Yeah, it's similar to what we were saying before about the lowest common denominator. Yeah. Right. The CMDB was there to serve a particular purpose. That purpose included things like making sure you've got support contracts and making sure that, that you, you're, um, you understood power requirements and, and those sorts of things, which, which were, were very, very flat in terms of the data that they needed. There wasn't the understanding and the requirement for, for building the relationships and the modeling of, the, of the, the topology, if you like. But we need the CMDB. It's just that for me, the network source of truth should fit the CMDB. Yeah. And the network source of truth, it becomes, I would say, the master information regarding network and it's feeding the CMDB so other people can come and consume this information. It's not, I would say, we not oppose them. So you need an enterprise CMDB. You need a place where you have everything in one place. But it's just that sometimes you need a dedicated tool more powerful for your need. Yeah, no, completely that. And, and, that's, and that's where we're getting to, I suppose, is this idea of having that single source of data that disseminates out through the network so that you, you know that your data is always consistent regardless of which tool that you're accessing that data from, right? So, so if you have your source of truth, then, then um, and that is, is, let's say, let's say, for example, you have your netbox source of truth. You have IP Fabric there um, busy uh, assuring that the source of truth is accurate and, and correct based on what's actually in the network then you use that as a source of information to feed out to your monitoring platforms and to your, your um, ITSM to make sure that when you're raising tickets that you're raised against devices that exist and where that they're in the right place and connected to the right things. And that those relationships are maintained in your source of truth, but then fed out to all of those other elements. So allowing you to use that same data for all manner of different elements. So your security teams, your operational teams don't have to go begging to, to the network team in order to get this information because the platforms and the systems themselves disseminate that information out. And that, that feeds to, to the data democratization thing we were mentioning um, right at the beginning, doesn't it? Because you've got that data, you want to use it as widely as possible and make sure that everything is consistent as possible across your operations. Yeah. So do we think coming into I, the, the two points that are flying around uh, are data democratization? And one of the points we wanted to require, like, question is, what do you think some of the more advanced use cases could be if we've translated the network into an accessible, queryable database and there is this data democratization in practice? which I guess also feeds into future trends. Do you see some real advanced use cases from this deployment of an automated, somewhat intent-based network 
where this data can be used by other teams now without having to feed through uh, traditional communication routes to slowly get information from the network team. You've asked the question there. Look at <laughs> the concentration. I, I'll dive in first, shall I? Um, the, the, I heard it said, um, and I've heard it a couple of times in, in recent weeks, that network data is considered like oil, right? like gold. It's, it's so valuable in order to educate all of the operational processes um, from across IT. Um, because because everything is built on the network. The network is fundamental to, to every single other IT process. So for me, having that integratable um, ecosystem, using an intent-based network to, to um, maintain and, and, and have the, these, this auto, autonomy, if you like, of the environment, but then be able to extract the data out in such a way that it can feed other processes has got to be the way forward. What that ends up with is, is two things in my head. The network engineer is still the network engineer because they still need to understand how the packets flow and they still need to understand how that network, um, it can be troubleshooted if it's shot, troubleshot if there were a problem. But they're also a data scientist. And this, this is where the parallel comes with with other, other folk who use Python, because Python has become, as much as it's a programming language, it's become a tool for data scientists to actually dig into data, uh, you know, in the vast volumes that we have of it now and really make sense of it and understand it. And because if you model the, the data appropriately, you can use those tools to really get to the, to, to the depths of what that data can do and what it can mean. So. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that, that I bandy about a lot is this idea of, of, a, of a network engineer as a data scientist and why, why you need to learn to program as a network engineer, not necessarily just to be able to go change config on loads of devices. But, but, but Julian's going to ask. Yeah, no, but just is, is go back to a question that was in the chat, not in the Q&A. Uh, someone say how, excuse me, saying how you can cope, I would say, with all this new technology as a young network engineer. And he's right, because I would say when you start and you arrive now in the market, there is a lot of, I would say, traditional information, but there is a lot of new information and can be very, I would say, difficult for a young engineer. But I would say you start somewhere. You start at least, I think for me, the key element today is Python, at least uh, a programming language, let's say. <laughs> let's say it's only Python. You can just go if you want, but you need to know how to program because like we said earlier on, you need the ability to get to API, get to data. And this is not only, I would say, limited to CLI. Um, it's funny because I have, uh, I would say, some uh, sales engineers or brilliant guy who told me, who are still in the market, but told me, I went into networking because I didn't want to do programming. <laughs> <laughs> and now it got back to me. <laughs> and I need to learn programming to be able to do better networking. <laughs> so we have, a, I would say, sense of loop. And even so, even before we are not really programming, but you can still do TCL script, even be, before doing real Python, you can do still basic programming. So to come back on the complexity, uh, you start little by little. Uh, I would say you, you read on the internet, you try to make sense of it. Rowan was saying the good point was the certification, because when you do a certification, it's been people from which are more experienced than you, have drawn you a path of what you should learn to be able to get a sense of all of it. So this is where, when you start, certification are important because they give you a great way to estimate information. Afterward, hey, you are by your own. You need to learn. You need to be, <laughs> I would say, curious and check by uh, by yourself. Right. I mean, the the curiosity thing, of course, is uh, is is natural for all network engineers, is it not? Is that not just what we are? I, I just <laughs> just just an observation. But uh, Gianpaolo, what do you think? Yeah, I, I'm. This was a, a, a discussion early on about the network automation. How much code do a network engineer need to write? I think you need to learn and you should be able to write a little bit of code to poll the network about information, to generate configuration, to validate some key points like running tests. The next layer about building a whole orchestrator, I think no network engineer will 
ever do that uh, uh, or it will ever be expected to do that. I, I can't do that. Coding is hard because uh, I write a lot of uh, uh, common line scripts for my work. So like just a few lines of Python, click, I have my own uh, command. I can just uh, pull or do massive change on the network. And I just bid some small commands that are really useful for me. Also, when I need to design a network, a new piece of network, I can pull all the information. But I can't say I write code. I write scripts that are very useful, have a very big impact on my work, but are not actual code. I see code as a very big like data modeling. How much time do you need to spend when you're writing code about how to model your network, about all the validation of the input, how to check about all the exceptions? Then if you have software, you need to maintain software versioning, uh, you need to verify that is uh, secure, that you are not uh, um, publishing uh, passwords or uh, the access. Uh, so it is very hard to write code. But uh, an hybrid team uh, may arise then, because you may have the experience as a network engineer that works with the people writing code that uh, study probably a little bit of networking again. So you can have a mix of people that can create a team that can get a result. But uh, I don't think we should expect uh, like the network engineer that is a CCIE and a senior Python programmer. They, they, there are a few. I know personally that there are a few that are really geniuses, but we should not compare to them because really it's a too, an expectation that is too high for us. Okay. So learn to code. Uh, but don't feel that if you are not uh, uh, building your own libraries or your own uh, orchestrator, you are you are behind the curve. We are everybody. We are there. We are we are learning, and uh, y y probably you cannot do a career in networking today if you are not learning coding. Uh, but uh, yeah, it will, there is a limit of what uh, one person can do. I would just add one thing. Uh, Writing code is easy. Maintaining uh, code is hard. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that. This is most disappointing because, uh, yeah. Orhan, are you going to be uh, learning to be a software developer then, or uh, you know, <laughs> on top of all of your your many skills? Of course not. But uh, <laughs> as I said, a little bit of coding, network automation is must for all of us. And uh, if today fresh graduate, let's say computer engineer, what they should do. If, if you are considering to become a network engineer, two things I think they should learn, they should understand from the very first day, design mindset, network design mindset and network automation basics. For the design mindset, please have a look at for the free videos, also my YouTube channel or an YouTube channel. Also one video I did with Darren there, I think, uh, video for something like that. You will see the title with the network uh, design architecture talk with Oranagin, etc. Have a look at those four videos, six hours almost for entry level to the design, let's say. And then automation, there are many also videos out there. Have a look at IP Fabric website as well for that. And uh, so those two things is important, fundamentals. And then you go there from there, maybe uh, different tools, uh, even on the design, you can have, of course, advanced knowledge. On the automation, you can have advanced knowledge. Where you will go from there, you will decide. But fundamentals must for us. I think I think the key thing really is just keep learning, right? Um, I mean, as far as as network engineers are concerned, you can't learn too much and and make it as broad as you possibly can. So, uh, yeah, I think that's all good. And it's sort of our job, I would say, as well, to spread the knowledge inside our team to help our team to learn, to learn how to code, to learn how to use. And yes, this is most, it's not only doing by own, it's sharing it with the community or sharing it with your team. I was gonna just say actually, the community element of all of this is huge, right? Because between, I mean, hey, without it, we wouldn't have met as, as a group, but also, you know, the, there is so much uh, knowledge out there that people want to share, um, you know, and, and what a great source of, of information and inspiration as well. Yeah, I'd say the <clears throat> we're speaking obviously with customers from 
all different countries, cultures, backgrounds, states of network evolution. And we see the same requests, the same types of projects coming up over and over again. How do I begin with these elements of automation? Could I look at my source of truth? This is how we're looking to do it. Do you have guidance? And we steer people to the community because there's already people delivering these type of things and very much in the, uh, in the essence of sharing. So Darren, how would you suggest people check out the community, get involved, keep an open ear? Well, you could do worse than following the, the, the folks on here, of course, because um, you know, they, there's a lot of in, a community involvement just in the, uh, in the faces you see in front of you here. But uh, you know, and, and Twitter and, and LinkedIn are always, always good places. We um, obviously have our own um, IP Fabric, has our own um, Slack channel, um, and um, we're just setting up a Discord group um, in order to, to sort of communicate directly to, to our community. Um, but, you know, there, there are so many options. The best thing is just to link with, with the people you see in front of you, I think. Perfect. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Also, uh, you guys, please follow me on LinkedIn as well. Mostly I am using that. And whoever I tag that, you can <laughs> you can follow them too. <laughs> Usually, these these folks, anyways. But there are uh, some other people also, which uh, continuously I am uh, sharing some of their uh, efforts actually in the automation as well as uh, design network design uh, field. Perfect. Okay, so we'll we'll probably close off the discussion there. There will be another. Ask Community Fabric webinar coming up probably around May, which is, I guess, the, the sneak peek. Well, there's no sneak peek for the audience today, but the, the panelists are probably looking more on the software development side and scripting side to the network automation story. So something for you to keep your eyes peeled for there. Um, final thanks to, to Julian, Jean-Paulo, Ohan, and of course, Darren for your, for your time this afternoon. And thanks to everyone who's joined. Thanks for the questions. We will be sharing the recording out and uh, really look forward to any more questions. Feel free to follow all the guys here on Twitter, on LinkedIn, and ask away and get involved in the community. Thank you, Joe. Thank you. Thank, Thank you very much, guys. Bye. Have a great afternoon. Bye. Bye, guys.